0: Don't look back because the market is closed. Good Tuesday afternoon, everyone. Tyler Heritage here with you for today's VRA Investing Podcast. Well, the strength for our market continued today. After the good start to the week that we saw yesterday, we got some nice follow through today. Most of our major imba- indexes getting back to their highs of the day, finishing just off of them. Uh, but a good Smart Money Hour today for most of our major indexes. Uh, and it, right out of the gate today, it really looked like it was going to be a strong day. Uh, for example, small caps hit their highs of the day in the first two hours or so of trading. We didn't get back to those highs throughout the day. On the other hand, uh, the Dow Jones was able to take out its highs from the morning later in the day. So were the uh, so was tech. Um But again, just out of the open this morning, we got a little bit of a pause, still a lot of questions out there from Janet Yellen's comments to what the Fed's going to say uh, tomorrow and a whole lot of other uncertainty going around right now. So let's cover a little bit of that quickly and then we'll get to our market action on the day Uh, because last week we covered this as well, Kip's covered it a lot, Uh, Janet Yellen's comments last week. A lot of questions over the weekend from that. Uh, So what she said last week was that the Treasury and the Fed combined are willing to step in and support any financial institutions, any banks that pose potential systemic risk. So that brought up the question, of course, and we raised it last week as well. What does that mean for small banks where people have more than 250,000 that is the FDIC uh, insurance limit. Are they just, they're screwed then? If their bank goes out of business, if they get a run on that bank, you're just gonna let these thousands of institutions fail? You can imagine, they got a lot of backlash Uh, and rightfully so. It came out very elitist. Hey, we'll bail out the Silicon Valley bank because they made poor investment decisions but you're on your own. All you little people are on your own. That's what it sounded like. Uh, so since then she's walked them back, those comments back a little bit, still a little bit of uncertainty, but she said that they're resolute in their commitment to take the necessary steps to ensure that depositors are covered. So essentially reading between the lines, what she's saying is that if bank runs begin, we're not going to allow that to happen. We'll do whatever we have to. We're not going to allow that. And <clears throat> that's ultimately the right decision. I mean, love or hate our financial system, it's the one we got. Kip covered this yesterday on Charles Payne as well. Uh, you know, it's the one that we've got for right now. This is the right move to keep it afloat. Uh, And that's for a few reasons. One, FDIC insurance is just outdated. Now, first, it hasn't kept up with inflation. They raised it from 100K to 250K in 2008. It hadn't been raised since then, so it hadn't kept up with inflation. Secondly, what else has happened since 2008? Massive, massive levels of money printing so there's much more liquidity in the system now in fact record levels of it right thanks to the feds easy money policies that means that there are more millionaires out there there's more small businesses out there with millions of dollars in the bank and so if they bank with a smaller smaller bank one of the regional banks they're wondering is my money going to be protected will i be able to make payroll or is my, if my bank isn't able to give me the liquidity that I need, right? So you can see how this could quickly, if people think that only the big banks are going to get backed up, there is going to be an exodus out of regional banks, which means that you'd have thousands of these businesses closed down if we get that kind of cascading effect, the contagion effect that everyone's so worried about. So you can see how that would be just as damaging to our financial system as losing one of the big ones, right? Um, So the given that that's the case, thanks to the federal reserve, the least they can do is come in and step up and say, Hey, we're going to back all of this up again. You don't have to like it. It's just, that's how you keep our current system afloat. Uh, So, you know at the end of the day you can see those rules and that the fed and treasury have the ability to change the rules whenever they want and we can complain about them uh and t- we're going to be talking about them here constantly believe me uh, but at the same time we can use that knowledge to make money off of that and what that means for us here is that inflation will continue doesn't mean it has to get back to the outrageous levels that it got to even though it was underreported but Stealing from the future to pay for things today is what our system is currently based off of. And it's the, like Kip talks about, it's the Japanification of the United States. Uh, and as he talked about on Charles Payne's show yesterday as well, compared to countries like Japan or China, uh, our, our debt to GDP levels are nowhere near those are. So one can make the argument that it's almost irresponsible not to, to go after those countries. If those are our competitors and that's what they're doing, Uh, you know, that argument could certainly be made. Now, definitely there will be hell to pay one day, but whether or not that'll be in our lifetimes is an uncertainty, right? Uh, For right now, we think that this follow the Fed, boom bust cycle that the Fed has created, uh, where every few years we have a crisis like this, ultimately they're great buying opportunities. Uh, so going back to the big banks, the last thing I wanted to, to touch on here is again that our view for the time being is that there will likely be unlimited backstops on banks. And again, if there isn't, that means thousands of banks could go out of business in the coming years. Then we'd be left with massive of, uh, like we saw with Credit Suisse, these take unders, massive levels of those until we're left with just a handful or so of big banks. we're talking about financial institutions, you know, there's a lot of money out there, maybe it's 30 or so big banks. That's terrible news for you and me. It's terrible news for competition, for the space, right? How much easier is it to force 30 banks into doing what the government wants to do versus forcing thousands of banks to comply, Right? If you have only 30 banks, it makes it much easier to do what China has done and implement that social credit system. I've talked a lot here at length about my concerns with CBDCs, uh, Central Bank Digital Currencies, and this is another one right here where I don't think they'll do this, but just you know, imagine with me here for a second how easy they can make it to implement something like this even with thousands of banks, right? So you think about the unlimited backstop system. Well, as a regional bank, the fed might say, the treasury might say you can't get this loan that you need to prevent, you know, a, a solvency issue in a run on your bank, unless you take it in CBDC, unless you take it in our central bank, digital currency, just the same way we talked about with stimulus checks. If you don't, and there's a social credit system, you know, if you don't go get your updated vaccines, if you don't, uh, if you travel too much, whatever they want to make the rule, right they could just say, well, we're only giving it to you in central bank digital currency, take it or leave it. If you don't comply with what we say you have to do to get that, then you don't get it. The end of story. Uh, That's, you can see, you know, I don't think that that type of model is coming overnight, right? But you can see the pieces being laid in the foundation of it being laid right now. Uh, You know, something to be aware of over the next 10 years right? And to be hyper aware of it though, really, uh, (laughs) 10 years sounds like a long way off. It's going to come quickly. All right. Uh, so a little long winded there. Let's touch on a few more of the other concerns right now. Of course, tomorrow, the big one, we've got the FOMC meeting where Jay Powell, the money renting, printing rockstar himself will once again be taking the microphone. This could be a really rare, big update for Jay Powell tomorrow. It has the potential for that. Now, (laughs) <laughs> Knowing Jay Powell's track record About 90% of the time that he speaks The markets fall I wouldn't necessarily want to take that bet um, But the setup is there Because the 50 basis point hike Everyone was talking about just 3 weeks ago Is now effectively completely off the table There's now over a 70% chance For a 25 point basis a basis point hike And about a 27% chance of no hike at all That is a vast difference from where we were just two weeks ago, and there's a lot of people in the camp now of there may be no rate hike tomorrow. The guy who spoke before Kip yesterday on Charles Payne's show, Goldman Sachs, came out yesterday saying that it doesn't expect a hike uh, due to this banking crisis. Our view here is a little different. I mean, and really, there's very little doubt in our minds that they will hike by 25 basis points. Whether it's the right move or not, they have to save face. That's the way they're looking at it. If they don't do that, they'll be seen as panicky here or unconcerned about inflation because the stock market threw a temper tantrum. That's what everyone will say. It's what people are saying about Jay Powell's whole career. As soon as the market throws a little bit of a fit, Jay Powell's there uh, to ease any concerns. That's kind of his legacy. Think about 2018. they tried to go on that tightening cycle. He rationalized it in all kinds of different ways. Then we had the December sell-off. He was right back to easy money. That's, that's his, his trend right there. So now that they've broken something, he has the opportunity tomorrow to come out being very dovish. And that's the key. It's not what they do as much as in the hike process. It's about his Q&A tomorrow and the minutes from tomorrow. We'll find out exactly what he meant when he said disinflation 13 or so times in the last FOMC meeting. Uh, And in our view, we expect the tone will be very dovish on the future path of the Fed. And again, that's what the markets are really concerned about. But think about it like this. This tightening cycle narrative is essentially toast now. Almost done. In the last week alone, the Fed has already undone nearly half of the quantitative tightening that they were trying to do since last year. Here, here's the quick layout of it, right? Since 2008, the global financial crisis, the Fed's balance sheet is up 9,000%. Thank you, Ben Bernanke who got that started, got the quantitative easing train rolling here in the U S so you can see how quickly it builds up steam. Uh, so since, just 2020, the Fed's balance sheet has more than doubled as well. They printed over $4.8 trillion that we know of in COVID-related quantitative easing during the quantitative tightening cycle that they just went on for the last year. They soaked back up $623 billion. That's what they took off of the Fed's balance sheet before something broke. So they printed $4.8 trillion took back 623 billion, something broke. Uh, we've said it for a long time, the Fed's going to hike rates until something breaks and then they'll get back to their easy money policy. So far that that's played out pretty true. So, again, they've soaked up 623 billion of the 4.8 trillion. Well, they just added back roughly 300 billion of that. So, roughly half of the, of the liquidity that they drained Through quantitative tightening Is already back in the system I mean, the Fed knows Markets are addicted To these easy money policies uh, And especially with a Democrat as president The Fed will do what they have to You know, I guarantee you If Trump was in office It would look more like 2018 right now They probably wouldn't have stepped up as fast They would have blamed it all on Trump And, uh, you know, just be laughing behind the scenes But, Beyond that, you know, we expect to get a, a dovish Powell, we expect these banks to be backstopped, uh, which again, overall, the right move for the financial system we exist in. Again, like it or not. But there are other reasons to be bullish on stocks here as well. And namely, the fact that everyone thinks that we're about to enter a recession and an earnings recession. Remember, the stock market is not the economy. And the stock market typically, begins or does begin bull markets during recessions, roughly six to nine months before the bottom in earnings. That is the the cycle that we have. Now that everyone's all feared up about the recession, that we might even, this could be kind of the capitulation moment here with the banks uh, to make it obvious to everyone else when we start to rally that, hey, we got out of this thing and then the stock market really takes off, right? Uh, On the earnings note, uh, earnings estimates have been cut by 12.4% after Q4 earnings. That's also, again, we're looking for that earnings bottom. If estimates are so bad for earnings, then what do we have? We get earnings beats. So again, this is looks like a perfect storm of events. Earnings bottoming, the recession fears are at all time highs, the banking crisis right now. These, these are contrarian indicators that you know build fear in the minds of so many, we use these as times to accumulate stocks. We've been saying it since the Octo- October 13th lows, that dips need to be bought. And we continue to see that as the case going forward from here. Uh, and <clears throat> you gotta remember as well, if we are in a new bull market, which we believe we are, <laughs> the new bull markets are powerful and you don't wanna miss that next potential big move higher. Back to the sentiment story as well. Uh, Excessive bearishness here. We just got back the BAML fund manager survey. Where fund manager sentiment has bounced slightly, we're still below some of the most excessive bearish levels in the last 20 years. When you look back at the nine previous times when they were this bearish, eight out of those nine times, the stock market went on for huge rallies. We look for this time to be nine out of ten. All right, all that said, let's take a quick look at our markets on the day today. day Small caps led the way, up 1.88% to 1777 Next up, the NASDAQ, up 1.58% to 11860 uh, Also point out here, the semiconductor ETF wasn't up as much as the NASDAQ today. Had to work hard to get back to positive territory even. But at the highs of the day, hit its highest level since April 5th of last year. So almost a 52-week high there. Uh, But when you zoom out on a chart, still a lot of room to run until we get back to all-time highs for the semis. We like that. It means there's a lot of gains uh, to be had there. Uh Next up, the S&P 500 up 1.3% and has now rallied just under 200 points in the last week alone. What's it? It's 4,008. That would be the number we're looking for for 200 points. That's a big move for the S&P now at 4,002. Lastly, the Dow Jones up just under 1% to 32,560. Looking at our internals on the day, we continue to see improvement here, which we want to see advancing stocks, beating out declining stocks over three and a half to one positive for the NYSE, just below three to one positive for the NASDAQ. 52 week highs to lows, Still negative, but much improved here from the previous sessions. And keep in mind, this is a lagging indicator. uh, So we expect to see a lot of improvement here soon. And lastly, volume coming in with roughly 83% upside volume today for the NYSE. Strong volume day there and over 3 to 1 positive on the NASDAQ as well. Looking at our sectors on the day. Uh, you know not quite the risk on day you would expect, but I'll start with our laggers because these were the defensives And if we're in a risk on environment as we see we are think, you know, we see it in things like Bitcoin tech leading uh, That's what we're looking for and we also look for our defensive sectors to lag which we got utilities Lagging down over 2% on the day followed there by real estate and consumer staples all defensive sectors then we had eight out of our 11 sectors finish positive. Our leaders were energy, consumer discretionary, and financials. Finally, for today, our VRA commodity watch gold. After getting above $2,000 an ounce yesterday, we're just a little bit below it now, gotten a little bit of a pullback. We're a little overbought here, but we remain long and strong in this group for the long haul. At, we're now down nearly 2% today to $1,943 an ounce. Silver down as well by half a percent to $22.50 an ounce. Copper up on the day by 1.3%. Back above $4 a pound, roughly right at $4 a pound right now. Oil up as well, a nice 2.5% to $69.53 a barrel. And lastly, here, Bitcoin. Now turning negative on the day after hitting a recent high here at 28437 earlier today. Now flat on the day at 27976 Folks, that's all that we have time for here today. Please be sure to subscribe to receive our VRA podcast every day at the market close. You can sign up at VRAinsider.com. Click the podcast link at the top and we'd love to have you with us. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, we'll see you back here tomorrow for the close.